Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, Canton Church. How's everybody doing today? Happy 4th of July weekend. I'm so glad that that you guys are here as we prepare to celebrate our independence. It's always an exciting weekend. Um, And I'm looking forward to uh, getting to share God's Word with you this morning. If you've got your Bible or um, your app, you can go ahead and turn or swipe with me to Luke chapter 12. And um, we're going to start off uh, with verse 49 in a moment as kind of our launching point. Um, But while you're turning there, uh, set the stage a little bit. It was 1986. I was five years old. And Ronald Reagan was president. It was a great time period of my life. It was a great time period in the history of America. It was at this time that showbiz pizza was all the rage. Right? Some of you are laughing because you remember going to showbiz pizza. Maybe some younger folks in the room are like, what in the world? Well, showbiz pizza was Chuck E. Cheese before Chuck E. Cheese was Chuck E. Cheese. All right, and now when you go to Chuck E. Cheese, there's like some, there's some shoddy little arcade games over in the corner, and like their pizza really hasn't improved much and everything, and, and, but there's a show, but it's all like digital, it's on a screen, and it's, it's really, really lame. See, before Chuck E. Cheese became what it is today, we had showbiz, and showbiz had like C-level animatronics, all right, like not Disney quality, like, they were even like a couple notches down, but, but by golly, we had them and we loved it. And so you could, you could go to Showbiz Pizza Place, and you could eat mediocre pizza, and you could roll skee-ball until your arm fell off, and you could exchange your tickets for some penny prizes, and then you could go out into the, into the, the auditorium And every 15 minutes or so, there would be a a show where these animatronics would come to life. The curtains would open, and and right over here, the the mainstay, the figurehead of showbiz pizza was Billy Bob, all right? He was this, this country bear. He had like one tooth, and he wore overalls with one strap. And they were like red and yellow striped, and he would he would come out and he would like plinkety plunk on the guitar. And he would sing country songs and everything. And then, then next to him, I don't even know like, why this guy was a part of the band. He was like a wolf dressed up as a magician in like a red sequin tuxedo. And he had this creepy puppet because we all know that's what kids like is creepy puppets. And he would do like this ventriloquism act, or I, I don't know. Like, I, it sounds weird because it was weird, but we loved it. We lo- and then right here next to that dude, it was like a polar bear in a Hawaiian shirt sitting on a surfboard that would like rock back and forth, and he would play the electric guitar. I don't even know what that's about. Then over here on this side, like, it started out as like a girl mouse. But then randomly, like a couple years later, it transitioned to a chicken. And she was a cheerleader, and she had these pom-poms, and she didn't play any instruments. She just sat there and like, would just lean back and forth and just twirl her pom-poms. I don't know. 
Like they had a sign-up sheet, like for the band. Who wants to join the band? And she just walked up, and they signed her up, you know? And then over here on this side was the pasta chef. And he was, he was this Italian guy. He looked kind of like Phil Ropo, only he had hair. <laughs> and his name was Pasquale. And the only thing that I know about Pasquale is that when Pasquale says polka, you stop what you're doing and dance. That was like his song. It was like the big thing. He had this little critter that would like come up out of a trash can next to him and like play the accordion. I, I don't, it, was, it was weird, dude. It was weird. But my favorite character of all was right here in the middle. And he was the biggest character of them. I mean, like he was, he was large and in charge right up in front. He played the Hammond B3 organ. Well, not really. He just kind of did this. But they made it sound like he could play it. And his name was Munch. And he was a humongous gorilla. And he was all, I loved Munch. Munch was my favorite. And I can remember at the age of five, I had like a Voltron-themed birthday party at Showbiz Pizza Place. And I remember we had reserved like the table like right here in the center, you know, because everybody that was somebody had their birthday party at Showbiz Pizza Place. And if you were the creme de la creme, the elite of the elite, you got the center table. And buddy, I had it. And I can remember we were down there, we were eating pizza, and I was opening up presents and everything, and all of a sudden, the Shekinah glory from heaven opened up, and those curtains rolled back, and Munch gave them the count, and Billy Bob started twanging on the guitar, Pasquale was doing his polka over here, and Surfboard Man was wailing on the electric guitar over here, and this dude was swinging his puppet around and making everyone uncomfortable. The cheerleader was twirling those pom-poms and munch. He began to jam on that organ and, buddy, all the kids rushed forward and they started dancing. For a few minutes, heaven was in the air. And we felt it surging through our veins. But it was short-lived because a few moments later, the curtains rolled back together and it was over. And I can remember standing there in the front of that showbiz pizza when one of the greatest dares that I've ever received in my life was issued to me by one of my friends attending my birthday party. They didn't just dare me. They didn't even triple dog dare me, or double dog dare me. They, they skipped all the way to the triple dog dare to go forward and pull back the curtain to look at what was behind there. At first, I thought, well, this ain't no big deal. Like, it's, it's munching the gang. Like, it's going to be cool. But the closer that I got to that curtain, the more nervous I got. And my, my heart kind of got up in my throat, and I reached forward to grab hold of it. And by the way, this was something that the establishment kind of frowned upon. So you had to do it like you had to be sneaky about it. So I kind of tiptoed up there, and my hands are trembling. My fingers laid hold of the curtain, and... The presence in the room just kind of took my breath. But buddy, I was determined to make it through this rite of passage, and I peeled back that curtain just wide enough for a shaft of light to shine through. And there, in front of me, suspended in animation, was that humongous gorilla named Munch. And when I close my eyes and lay down my head on my pillow every night, he haunts me. <laughs> 
And I tell you that that was the first and last time that I ever looked behind the curtain at Showbiz Pizza Place. Because sometimes when we look behind the curtain, when that gets peeled back and the truth gets revealed, we don't always like the things that we see. And the same is true with our walk with Jesus Christ. See, here in America especially, we have these ideas of what we think it means to truly follow Jesus. We see, we see Jesus um, riding on a unicorn and he's this God of, of peace and love and mercy. And then in Orlando, a man walks into a gay and lesbian bar and kills 50 people. And standing out front of the road in the aftermath and the aftershock, on one side of the street, you have a Christ follower, a self-proclaimed Christ follower who's resurrecting or, or um, erecting a, a monument to remember those who have lost their lives and have gone on to heaven. And on the other side of the street, you have self-proclaimed Christ followers who are holding up signs and they're picketing and they're saying, Jesus or, or God sent the shooter. And it's all about his wrath and that those people are going to, they're going to die and they're going to burn and they're going to go to hell. And we're stuck somewhere in the middle left to decide. How do we choose? We find ourselves in this gray area and we're totally unsure of what it means to truly follow Christ here in 2016. And so we go to the scriptures to find some, some relief, to find some hope, to find some comfort. But again, just like at Showbiz Pizza Place, when we peel back that curtain, sometimes we're left with some stuff that's hard for us to handle. We don't always like the things that we see when we go to God's Word. And this series is aptly titled, Things We Wish Jesus Didn't Say. Because here in Luke 12, i got to be honest, I really wish Jesus didn't say this. But he did. Starting with verse 49, he says, I came to set fire to the world, and I wish it were already burning. I have a baptism to suffer through, and I feel very troubled until it's over. Do you think I came to give peace to the earth? Most of us would say, yes, Jesus came to give peace, but in the next breath, he says, no. I tell you, I came to divide it. From now on, a family with five people will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and Jesus speaks this and we find it right here in the truth of the gospels and it, it's kind of thrust in our lap and we're like well now what do we do with this <clears throat> see this fire in this passage that he mentions Jesus is likely he's referencing not peace and love he's referencing judgment and wrath that is going to come at the end of days and this baptism that he speaks of is a foreshadowing of the work that he is going to do on the cross by which and through which all man will be judged. See, the cross here issues each of us a challenge. And by the cross, each one of us must decide where our allegiance lies. Either for Christ or against him but we struggle with what that really means and what that really looks like and how that gets played out in our life, especially in light of passages like this one. 
But the challenge of the cross is a simple one. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. As one writer put it, he wrote, The bloodstained cross serves as the vehicle through which true peace will be brought to the world in eternity. But in the meantime, the presence of the cross creates a division which penetrates even the most sacred of relationships, those of our families. And this division may lead to the costly sacrifice of the most treasured of human ties. See, though the message of taking up one's cross seems pretty straightforward, pretty, pretty cut and dry, a lot of us, myself included, we've made following Jesus Christ out to be about something that it's not about. We've made it about us. See, following Christ has nothing to do with us at all. Check out this passage from Luke 9. This is what Jesus says again in Luke 9. He says, As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you any place you go. Jesus said to them, The foxes have holes to live in, and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the people who are dead bury their own dead. You must go and tell about the kingdom of God. Another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, anyone who begins to plow a field but keeps looking back is of no use in the kingdom of God. Ouch, right? That's some pretty tough stuff. See, this passage, it lays out the story of three candidates for discipleship. And while each of these approaches, they may have happened at different times throughout Jesus' um, life here on the earth, Luke combines them together in this one story because of their subject matter. And through the stories of these three would-be disciples, we can learn a bit about what following Christ is not. We learn a bit about what following Christ is not. There's three things. Number one, following Christ is not about our comfort. Following Christ is not about our comfort. There at the beginning of that passage, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you any place you go. And Jesus said to them, The foxes have holes to live in, and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Sarah and I were just at camp this past week. We took um, several elementary school-aged children from our church and some of their friends, and we went to um, Homer, Georgia. Does anybody know where Homer, Georgia is? The people that live in Homer, Georgia don't know where Homer, Georgia is. Like, that's how far out it is. No cell phone service or anything. We're out there suffering for Jesus at this camp um, with these grade school kids. And, And we checked in on Monday afternoon. And got all the stuff in our cabins and everything. Sarah's a cabin leader for girls. I'm a cabin leader for boys. And we come together at dinner. And the first thing Sarah says to me at dinner is, she says, the bed in my room is awful. And I said, what? We got pillow top sleep numbers in our cabin. Like, I don't know. Like, you must have drawn the short end of the stick. I'm like, what are you thinking? This is camp. This isn't the Ritz-Carlton. But yet we've come to, we just have this expectation in our mind that when we're serving Christ, 
Like everything is going to be like the, the topmost level of comfort. Like it's all about us, right? And see, then, then that's, that's only perpetuated by these televangelists who preach this, this prosperity gospel. And they say things like, just name it and claim it. Like, go out to the Mercedes dealership and lay hands on the hood of one of those vehicles and march around it seven times and it'll be yours. Right? Like, it doesn't matter that you work a minimum wage job at McDonald's and you don't have a high school diploma. Like, God wants you to have that stuff, along with a new house and a new wardrobe and a bass boat. God wants you to give Pastor Blake $100 on the way out of church today. Only one of those statements is true. I'm going to leave it up to you to figure that out. You just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and what happens, happens. But see, the truth of the matter is that Jesus never promised us any of that stuff. Jesus never promised us blessing upon blessing that we would have everything that we could possibly want. But he did say he would take care of our needs. Matthew 6, 25 through 33, Jesus says, So I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live or about the clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And you know that you are worth much more than the birds. You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. Why do you worry about clothes? Look at how the lilies in the field grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves, but I tell you that even Solomon, with all of his riches, was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire, so you can be even more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things, and your Father in heaven knows you need them. So seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. This same truth is what Paul wrote about to the church in Philippi in Philippians 4.19 when he said, My God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything that you need. So following Christ isn't about your comfort. But that requires us to be willing to make some sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. We've got to make some sacrifices because it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. The second thing it's not about is following Christ is not about our timetable. It's not about our timetable. Right there in the middle of that passage we read earlier, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the people who are dead bury their own dead. You must go and tell about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus was talking here to a Jewish man. This was the culture in which he lived. And for a Jew, proper burial of one's loved ones was paramount. It was of utmost importance. And this duty of proper burial, it would have taken precedence over pretty much everything else within the Jewish culture and heritage. It would have taken pre precedence over the study of the law. It would have taken uh, precedence over attending the temple servants, service. It would have taken precedent over the killing of the Passover sacrifice. It would have come before the observance of circumcision, and it would have been placed um, ahead of the reading of the Megillah, which was a scroll that Jews would read from both um, day and night um, every single day. So based on this, Jesus responds to this man when he wants to go back and bury his father, knowing the Jews hold burial as, as the top priority. 
seems that Jesus, his response is a little bit out of whack. But what we fail to realize is that it was likely the case that this man's father wasn't even dead yet. Because had this man's father been dead, this man would have not been where Jesus was. He would have been back with his family. He would have been taking care of the burial and everything. So essentially what this man was saying is, I will follow you, Jesus, but first let me go and live a full and happy life with my family. And then once that is done, then I will come and give myself over to you. And so Jesus' response to him is really, it's it's an expression of the sense of urgency that surrounds the fulfillment of his mission. To seek and to save that which is lost. He said this to his followers in Luke 10 too. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ladies and gentlemen, our time as Christ followers is right now. This is the time. The day is coming soon. Our time is drawing short. Now is the time to follow Christ and to be about his message and his mission. We have to have a sense of urgency on behalf of the gospel because it's not about our comfort. It's not about our timetable. The third thing it's not about, following Christ is not about our desires. It's not about our desires. The third man in that passage that we read earlier, it says, another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, anyone who begins to plow a field but keeps looking back is of no use in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is addressing here is is simply he's addressing our focus, the things that we're focused on. See, this man's desire to go back to his family showed that his focus was not on the task at hand, but rather that he was reluctant to fully commit to the cause. And a lot of us, we've got it in order, right? Like the things that we're focused on, like I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to get a date I'm going to go to college and figure out what I want to do with my life. And I'm going to graduate college and I'm going to secure a good job. And hopefully that date will turn into somebody wanting to marry me and spend the rest of their life with me. I didn't really have trouble with that, but some of you. Lance got lucky. (laughs) Pray for Allie. Then we're going to get married and... We're going to have kids and 2.4 to be exact. And we're going to buy a house with a white picket fence. And everything's going to be great about our life. And then maybe we'll get around to following Christ. We're focused on this over here. And we're focused on this over here. And Jesus is saying anyone who starts to plow a field but continues to look over their shoulder is worthless to the kingdom of God. Because any of you that have ever worked on a farm, you know what it takes to plow a field. you got to have straight rows in order for them to be able to be planted in. We can't look over our shoulder and drive a straight row. So because our focus is over here and our focus is over here, we're trying to plow this field and it's like all over the place, just willy-nilly. And it's worthless. It's kind of like trying to drive a vehicle forward in downtown Atlanta traffic while looking in the rearview mirror. What's going to happen? A big mess. That's what's going to happen. 
Because it's not about the things that we desire. We can't look to the right and look to the left and focus over here and focus over here. Jesus said, you've got to be about the task at hand, which is winning souls and making disciples. That's what following Christ is all about. Proverbs chapter 4 addresses this. It gives us some, some principles to live by in order to live a life of proper focus. It says this, My father taught me, take my words to heart. Follow my commands and you will live. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. If we're going to truly follow after Christ for our lives, then we have to focus completely upon the advancement of the gospel and nothing else. That's got to take precedent because it's not about our comfort. It's not about our timetable, and it is not about our desires. But if it's not about those things, then what is it about? If following Christ is about us taking hold of the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10, then how do we do that? When Jesus says a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life in all of its fullness, what does that mean? What does that look like for us? And how do we grab hold and live a life of fullness? I hope that when they put me in the grave at the end of my life, that on my tombstone, it would be able to say he lived a life of fullness. I hope that they would stand around and talk about, man, what a life that guy lived. Completely sold out and surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's what I hope they'll say about me. But what does that look like? See, when we, start to, when we start to unravel this principle in Scripture, we get to another one of Jesus' hard sayings in John chapter 6, 53 through 59, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. Wait, what? Yep, yeah, that's what it says. I tell you the truth, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. This is like cannibalistic kind of stuff. Like, people, you should be uncomfortable. Because the hearers that He was speaking to, the, the people that heard Him say this, it made them uncomfortable. He continues on and He says, Otherwise, you won't have real life in you. If you don't eat my flesh, if you don't drink my blood, you won't have real life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me, and I live in them. The living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. I am not like the bread your ancestors ate. They ate the bread and still died. I am the bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said all these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So if you can imagine, Jesus is in the synagogue, and he steps up to preach. And he says to all of the Jews that are gathered there to listen, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now I want you to imagine if I walked out from behind that curtain and stood up here this morning and said, Hey everybody, today's going to be really cool. You get to eat my flesh and drink my blood. We would not be able to get those doors opened quick enough for you guys to get out of here. 
and run away. And Jesus is telling his followers this. He's saying, Jesus, he takes one of the greatest miracles in the history of the, of the Israeli nation, in the history of the Hebrews and the Jews. He takes one of the greatest miracles, manna from heaven, and he says, that bread was worthless to your ancestors because guess what? They ate it and they still died. I am the true manna. This flesh is the true bread from heaven. And that just would have made them mad. But then he takes it a step further and he says, not just eating my flesh, but you got to drink my blood as well. And he's sitting, he's standing before this room of people who it was against their laws to drink blood of any kind. And Jesus is saying, if you want to experience life, you've got to take hold of the true bread from heaven, the real manna, and that's me. And oh, by the way, you got to wash it down with a big cup of my blood. That did not sit right with these people. But he wasn't talking about things in physical terms. You and I know that he was talking about them in spiritual terms. It's actually a reference to the holy sacrament of Eucharist, which we're going to participate in in just a few moments. It's about this sacrament that the theologian R.V.G. Tasker wrote this. He said, Christian faith, in other words, is faith in Christ crucified. True nourishment, which brings eternal life, is possible only for those who accept his sacrifice, who are incorporated by faith into his body, who are crucified with him that they may live with him, and who abide in him because he abides in them. These truths, which are sacramentally set forth every time Christians partake of broken bread and outpoured wine at the Lord's Supper. See, here's the deal. To truly follow Christ is to identify ourselves with his work on the cross. To truly follow Christ is to identify ourselves with his work on the cross. And we've come full circle back to Matthew 16, where Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And he adds this in the following verse, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's the truth. I don't want to candy coat anything for anybody today make you think that following Christ is something that it's not. Because here's the reality of the matter that you and I face today. The gift of salvation is free. That's the 100% truth. The gift of salvation is 100% completely free. But living our lives in the abundance of that gift is very different from just accepting that gift. See, the truth is, is that while salvation may be free, to follow Christ will cost you everything. The gift of salvation is free, but to truly be a Christ follower, it's going to cost you everything. There are no guarantees. Your spouse may not follow Christ with you. Your kids may not follow Christ with you. 
You're not guaranteed comfort. You're not guaranteed that things happen on your timetable. You're not guaranteed that you get everything and that everything happens the way you want it to. So to truly follow Christ, you got to turn your back on that stuff and realize that it's fleeting to begin with. It doesn't matter. Because there's coming a day, friends, when my Jesus is coming back And I don't think he's going to call people forward that just played patty cake with his free gift. I think the people that he's going to call home to be in heaven with him forever are those who gave up everything to follow him. That's the choice that you and I make today. Take up our cross. We got to choose. There is no gray area. We're either for Christ or we are against Christ. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the free gift of salvation through the work that you did on the cross. And I pray that you would help each of us to have the courage to step out in faith and follow after you with every fiber of our being. Lord, I pray that each and every day we would take up the cross and follow giving up our own lives in the process as we identify with you through your body that was broken and your blood that was poured out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.